it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. Week 11 college football is upon us. This is SEC football and beyond. Hey everybody, what's going on? I'm Dan Matthews. He's Chris Landry. Follow him on Twitter at Landry Football. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Matthews ATL. One T in Matthews, those of you watching us on the Twitch stream, we appreciate it. If you're not, twitch.tv backslash Chris Landry football is the way that you can watch us every Monday and Thursday evening when we do this show. And then, of course, on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast needs, you can find us free Tuesday and Friday. Chris, uh, some uh, some really good games this weekend, some where it is, and I know you don't say this to Nick Saban, uh, but uh, a chance where probably you will be able to get some players in. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and go out on a limb here. This this will be our, our mention today of Alabama and New Mexico State, that Nick Saban is going to be able to play some extra guys in this game. I know that that's very much, uh, you know, the, the not kosher thing to say with Nick, but I think we're pretty much on a, a solid limb of being able to say that. Well, there's no question about it. Um... You know, the one thing that is really good is that we don't have all of these awful games in one weekend like we used to. Well, that's that's week 12. That's going to be next week. Yeah, there's, there's more of them. But we used to have them all on one weekend, which at least if you stagger, stagger them, you can find a good game or two. But there was a time where they were all bad on one weekend, Dan. 
Mm-hmm. It's like you had nothing in the SEC, yeah. and then if you didn't have a good, I mean, it, you talk about a. It's like almost having an off day in in um, in play. So it, it's it, it, yeah, this is one of those games that it's a it's a like a buy. It's get well. Let's try to maybe play some guys on the offensive line. Try to figure some things out because that team is um, we talked about earlier in the week. It's about figuring things out against Georgia and Auburn, um, and then beyond if they're able to get get by those games so yeah these aggies are not nearly as good as the ones that that beat them no. in college station a few weeks ago <laughs> somebody shared that on twitter today actually i, I saw where i don't know it, it had to be that the graphics department at sec network was just having fun with i believe it was on sec now of nick saban is zero one this year against the aggies so <laughs> you know uh, of course like you mentioned those aggies are pretty good new mexico state I don't know much about New Mexico State, Chris, other than in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Some of my girlfriend's family goes there, has gone there. Um, aside from that, I mean, maybe if uh, they're bringing over some good uh, red or green chilies, I, I, I don't know much of uh, what the uh, New Mexico State Aggies are going to bring to Tuscaloosa. Well, not, just we'll end it here. They, 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 they throw the football a little bit better than they run it, but they don't have a whole lot. They got Jonah Johnson, who's been, you know, pretty decent quarterback for them. And um, I thought he played well in the San Diego State game, and that's a pretty good defense. But that's about all. There's more stuff there, but that's already more information than anybody wants to hear about New Mexico State. There you and, go. And I know including you, but they're one and eight. They're one and eight for a reason. They're not very good. Right. I'm not going to sell you uh, on on them at all. Well, we don't have any great production for it, but that concludes the preview of Alabama <laughs> and New Mexico State for this week. So uh, don't consider yourself cheated right here on SEC Football and Beyond. And I see that Jay in the comments section already has a question about Florida. Jay, we will get to you at the end of the show. Florida taking on a pretty bad Stanford team, and we won't go much into that other than Florida probably really needs a win in the worst way. So we will uh, give you to uh, the games that uh, matter the most this weekend. And also, too, in the Beyond segment at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about Oklahoma and Baylor, sort of SEC, Oklahoma, soon to be, I guess, uh, as uh, we will talk about that game also, Ohio State and Purdue, so a couple of games with playoff implications. We will do that later on in the show. News and notes, though, Chris, as uh, let's go a little beyond here at the beginning uh, because UConn making a little bit of news earlier today, and I know that uh, Dan Wolken on Twitter uh, elicits a lot of reaction from people, but he said, why do schools continue to do this to each other? And my response was, what does UConn have to lose at this point uh, with a guy that has NFL experience and actually did pretty well at UCLA? Yeah, look, I I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, Jim, what are you doing? Why do you want to do it? I, I'm guessing, you know, because for people who don't know, Jim, um, um, and by the way, it's important to know to every media outlet out there, very close to the family, everybody that calls him Jim Jr., they will tell you, it, it wrinkles them, I don't know why, he's not a junior. It's uh, Jim Elmore, which is different than his dad, so he's technically not a junior. Little Jim, as I call him, um, he spent some time in Connecticut at ESPN, and I'm guessing went over to stores. And look, coaching is in your blood. Um, now, when he was younger, he spent a little time in New England. His dad spent uh, one or two years with the Patriots. This was old Patriots in the 70s. 
So he would have been young, like preteen, right around 10, 11. So, and then of course, spending some time at, look, I'm, I don't know that, I don't know that he's had this secret dream of living in New England and, you know, having a little time on the cottage in Connecticut somewhere. Guy wants to coach and he didn't have, wasn't a lot of options out there. I'm certain if there was a better one, he would have taken it. Um, they don't really have a conference. They're looking for one. They're trying to find a home, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, I, I don't know that anybody, they, they're, they would have to get somebody that was really inexperienced, really young. Um, you know, the thing that's amazing about it, when you write it off, it, it wasn't that long ago, at least it doesn't feel that way, that they were in the Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, Randy Etzel had done a really good job. So I'm not going to sell it. I'm really not going to sell it because of their current circumstance. But, yeah, you know, it's – it's. Look, guy wants to coach, get a little money, whatever, and see where it goes. I wish them both well. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about it, though, is you kind of touched on it a little bit, Chris, and this is something that I learned years ago, is that most coaches have an ego, and most coaches love a challenge, where it, for him it's an opportunity to get back into major college football despite where UConn is as a program. And it's also, too – it's a challenge for him that if he's able to turn that thing around and they're able to at least be competitive, then it's a look at the job Jim Mora did. How about this? I mean, you know, this guy can coach some football after all. So I, I think that both of those things are baked into that cake for him. And I think that that's probably why he says yes, but uh, you're exactly right. I mean, I think that otherwise you're looking at them having to probably reach for an FCS school or having to go with, a position coach from a school, a receivers coach, a running backs coach, a DBs coach, something like that, because you're not going to get an established guy. You're probably not going to get many people other than what you just got Jimmy Mora to come out of retirement. And you're not going to be able to get an established guy to come there. So I, I think you're pretty limited in your pool. And I think in terms of what the job that UConn is, this is about as good as they could do. So it's not about what schools are doing to themselves. It's that they said, hey, we got a chance to get somebody that has name brand, good or bad, but he's got name brand, and he's got an opportunity to be able to mold this program into the image that he wants it to be. So we'll see if indeed he is able to do that. Now let's move on to uh, Mike Leach uh, here in the News and Notes segment, Chris. And remember last week after the game against Arkansas, he said, we're trying out kickers. We are going to try. If you can kick a football, come on out to the Mississippi State practice facility. Let's put you on the field. Let's get you to kick a football. He says he has heard from about 40 kickers for an open tryout. 40 of them. Now, why do I think, though, too, Chris, that some of this is going to be the kid who is having a few beers with his buddies at the KA house there in <laughs> Starkville? That say, hey, I should totally go out there and do it, right? I mean, I played a little junior, I played a little junior junior varsity soccer in in, in high school. You know, I, I I could go out there and have some fun. So I, I think that this also has a chance to turn into a little bit of a mockery, where it's a, yeah, kid, it, it's not for you. Get out of here. Yeah, I, um, the one thing um, we used to do this with our walk-on programs, where we'd have guys, you know, try out for, you know, and. Um, for different spots and kickers, but it, it 
it's more productive now because more people play soccer. I mean, when I grew up, there was no youth soccer. I mean, the only thing I can remember is playing it in, in uh, grade school when, you know, the teachers just threw a ball and just you know, go play and we right. kicked it around and disorganized, you know, not, not, we didn't have organized. Now it is, uh, I live where I live. They've got this humongous yeah. soccer. Thing. I mean, they got kids from all over the country come in um, once every couple of summers for some big soccer tournament. That's just, and it just goes on forever. It's the Burbank soccer um, complex. Everybody does that. It's it's not that bad of an idea to get you a walk on if you got somebody that's a really good kicker. Now, I mean, I, I wouldn't hold out hopes, but, you know, you do have some kids that can kick. The soccer has really changed the element because a lot of guys can kick a little bit more, and the transition is a little bit easier because they don't have to do anything else. And in college, when you can have guys that are walk-ons, I can remember a time that we used to have like seven guys because we, mm. when we'd run drills back in the two a days, you 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 know you can't have two guys kick all the kicks; their legs would fall off. I mean, so you'd have you know just kicking and kicking. We were just looking for guys that could that could allow us to work our special teams practice, so that we didn't always have to use the jugs machines, and then and we got that in. But anyway, uh, so much for that. I still think that it was. Uh, a little bit too cutesy for Mike and um, wasn't real impressed with his, his uh, always attempt at humor. And, um, you know, obviously they're down a kicker and they've got to find an answer, but uh, to have just one guy and not, not be prepared is, is on him. So we'll see where it goes. All right. We'll talk uh, a little bit more. Speaking of Mike Leach here in a little bit, when we do our breakdown of the games this week, coming up here on SEC football and beyond, uh, one final headline here in the news and notes segment. Commissioners mulling alternative 12-team format for the college football playoff expansion model. This is from the Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC, putting forth a new playoff expansion format that's being considered by conference commissioners. This according to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. And uh, Chris, I was reading about it a little bit earlier. A group of conference commissioners introducing the alternative plan that guarantees a berth for each Power 5 champion. Uh, Again, this is what sources tell Sports Illustrated. Yeah, look, I mean, I think we're headed there. I mean, we're definitely headed there. Um, I think all all, what we know is when the whole Oklahoma-Texas thing broke, we were apparently very close. I mean, to the point where a deal was already done for this to be put forth. And then – that whole Oklahoma, Texas, the talk and, well, what did you know? When did you know it? How were you involved? Let's back up that whole, we're going to do this and take a look at it and make sure that we've got all our bases covered. We're headed there, Dan. I mean, we're headed towards it. Um, I think you got to rough, you got to, you know, iron out some details. Look, the SEC, for example, is in a position to say, look, we'll stay at four because we'll feel good at, you know, our chances of getting a second team in. Um, we don't want to go to eight because if you go to eight and everybody gets a berth, that's less at-large spots. Well, who's in best position to get at-large spots? Well, the SEC doesn't want – so they, you know, they want 12. So they, people have asked me, well, why don't you want to go four? Why don't you go six or, or eight or eight? Because they want more at-large spots. More at-large spots means 
the best at-large teams that don't win it. Well, well who is that normally? Mm-hmm. Um, you're right now, I know there's a gap between Georgia and the rest of the SEC, but if you're looking at the best teams in the country, you would have to throw in Alabama in the mix with those others, even though they don't look like typical Alabama. You'd have to look, even though they've got a couple of losses, an A&M team that looks really good. Um, you know, and, and you're always going to have that maybe third, fourth team that has two or three losses in the SEC that that is really good and are going to have a really good chance to get in, at least going to be in competition with another power five, you know, a Big Ten, you know, Big 12. So I think we're headed there, but trying to get all the details out is going to take some time. So I don't know when. Um, I think we were close to getting it done quicker. I hope that if you do, they do it. I, I don't know how you feel about it. I've always felt like this, and I've said this. Um, I said it on on my Landry Football Podcast yesterday. I We don't need eight or 12 teams to determine a national champion. Heck, we don't even need four half the time. It's not that we need it to determine the champion. But I'm about over all, because we got to talk about it. Mm. I'm over talking about, I cannot believe the rankings. And Well, why do you, why are you shocked about the rankings? You're shocked every year. You should be. We got the same malarkey we go through. And I'm almost over it to the point where, okay, let's, let's do it different. Let's open it up a little bit more and, I do think the one thing college football misses is we're into the last three weeks of the regular season and we got conference championship week. And then like the air out of the balloon, it goes away and mm-hmm. it's left to the NFL and it's left to college basketball, which starts too early. My, in my opinion. And then we have a whole month of, we get ready for the playoffs. And I know it goes fast because of the holidays and whatnot, but, but Dan, we, lose the we college football should own December and they you know like college basketball owns March and they could and I think they would if they made the playoffs because you'd have more games I think good Mm -hmm. games in the back end of the year would be a good thing so I've kind of looked at it differently not necessary but I'm kind of looking forward to the change quite frankly yeah, I mean, it's also the two. I mean, the Bulls will continue to evolve into, of course, these and the group of or the New Year's Six Bowl games will now become the Bulls because you're going to have the games that are outside of it where you're going to have players sitting out. And that's also, too, Chris, to a point where I think even coaches, if he knows that the guy's not going to be there, I'm telling him, go. It's It's nothing personal. You did everything you could for this program. I need to figure out what I have next year. And this is a way for me to get an extra opportunity, more practices, uh, game reps for young guys who maybe during the season didn't get that opportunity. And you can, if they haven't played more than the four games, that can still count as a red shirt that they can get out there and play and have meaningful action on the field. And again, those extra 15 practices, that's huge. You go into the spring where then soon enough you get into the season, that guy's an experienced guy at that point. So I, I get that. But it's also, too, I, I think that the key wording here in Ross's headline that he had for Sports Illustrated, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, they want to have a win. 
they want to be able to say, hey, look at you, Greg Sankey. We're the ones that made this one happen, not you. Mm -hmm. As we know about Greg Sankey, Chris, he does not get caught on his front foot swinging very often. He does not get fooled at the plate. All those baseball analogies. So I'm sure that something's working in Birmingham. And I'm sure before this is all said and done and the ink is dry on whatever they sign this on, he's going to have something to say about it. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Let's get into the games this week that we have. Like I said, we have a handful of good ones. I want to start first with uh, Mississippi State at Auburn as uh, the uh, homestanding Tigers are a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Uh, it's really, Chris, I think two programs that are pretty similar this year, that this is a game for Mississippi State that if they get this, and they're able to win next week, and they're able to steal the Egg Bowl, all of a sudden you're talking about an 8-4 and four season for Mike Leach, and it's, hey, that's not that bad. Okay, it looked like it was going a lot worse than this, and we had a strong finish. For Auburn, it's you got to bounce back from last week against Texas a &M. Bo Nix, he is at home. Bo Nix usually plays well at home. It's also as well, you want consistency out of Bo Nix at the quarterback position, because I think we can agree, Chris, We've seen greatness at times out of Bo Nix. We haven't seen it week in and week out, and I think that's an opportunity for him this week against Mississippi State. Well, we're, Will Rogers just played better. Now, this is an offense that's built around, you know, it's quarterback friendly, so the numbers and everything are going to play to the favor. But, you know, I think this offense is really good, and I also think Mississippi State's run defense is pretty good. And so that's going to challenge Auburn. Can they run the football consistently against Mississippi State? It's going to be the key. Um, and, and certainly if they can't, then it puts more pressure on bowl Knicks to move the pocket. I think it's a really good matchup. I think it's a really close matchup. You mentioned what's at stake. This could end up making the egg bowl really, really interesting. Even more if Mississippi state's even uh, wins a game like this, because, uh, I think it's a close game. It's a five and a half point spread. I kind of like it on the three point range. Um, I think it's a really close one. Uh, I do like Auburn overall a tad better, but I do like the matchup, in, you know, because it's in, in Jordan-Hare. But I do like some of the matchup advantages that Mississippi State has in this game. Wouldn't surprise uh, uh, me at all if they won it. But I do think that, uh, that Auburn's got to find a way to run the football. I think they will un well enough to get it done. Um, and I think they maybe can – slow down the, uh, the possessions that Mississippi State has and wins a close one. But I, I think it's a close one, and I think it's an intriguing one. Yeah, I mean, that's the key right there is what you talked about with the running game. Tank Bigsby against Mississippi State, who has started to run the football a little bit better. At the beginning of the year, they were awful. It was them and LSU uh, cellar dwellers in terms of running the football, but both teams have since bounced back. So I think you're exactly right. I think it's going to be a key in this game. And, you know, Mike Leach got one earlier in the year against Texas a and Does he get another one here on the road? I think that's going to be key because I, I actually think the key is going to be Bo Nix. I think if he is able to put last week behind him, he's able to bounce back, he's able to play well at home, then I think that probably it's a very good day for Auburn. If not, and you get a very good Will Rogers, who even in the loss, Will Rogers still looked pretty good and put up some good numbers last week. So, I think that that's going to be another part of this as well. But I'm with you, though. I think this one is a close one. As Mike Leach has had many close ones this year. So we'll see uh, who pulls this one out on Saturday in uh, on the Plains uh, for Auburn and Mississippi State. 
Let's go to uh, one of the Lester games uh, this weekend. That is going to be Kentucky at Vanderbilt. Kentucky, Chris, it's funny. I mentioned this yesterday on the Chuck Oliver show. It's a loss to Tennessee. That's not good. People in Kentucky don't like losing to those from Knoxville in anything. Basketball, baseball, football, you name it. They do not want to lose to the Tennessee Volunteers. I think also, too, there was a little bit of restlessness in terms of the loss where people said, hey, I thought 10 wins was attainable this year. I thought 11 wins was attainable. In a weird way, you know who I think the happiest guy was last week? Mark Stoops. Because he said people actually care about football here. And if they're saying those types of expectations of our programs, then we as coaches are doing our jobs. So I think that this is a team that wants to bounce back in a huge way against a very bad Vanderbilt team. Yeah, I don't think he was in such a good mood when he got that personal foul at the end of that game, though. I don't know about that. But your point, um, you know, Kentucky needs us bad, and they'll get it. I mean, uh, Vanderbilt's not good. They've had two weeks to rest here. But don't be surprised if this is close for a while. Look, it's just a byproduct of how Kentucky plays. They don't explode on you, and I know Vanderbilt will make mistakes, and I do think Kentucky can score some points here, but, you know, they are kind of a grinded-out team, and they don't push the ball down the field. They're only averaging, you know, seven, seven and a half yards uh, per pass attempt. So they don't push the ball down the field, and so and, and they're not a, an explosive big play team. So they'll play it close to the vest. They'll eventually win, win going away, and they'll, they'll probably win by, uh, you know, I think 20 points or more. Um, but you know, this, I know they're disappointed. I know they're frustrated because they were, while 11 and one was, um, maybe optimistic. It was in reach and 10 and two looked, looks a lot better than nine and three, even though it's only one game, but nine and three is good. I mean, back in August, nine and three is really good. Um, it just doesn't look or feel as good for them now. And, They'll win, but now it's about being able to finish out and making sure they don't stub their toe against Louisville. Um, yeah, you know, so that they just can go and end up because they, you know, they, they, their goal was, and they were starting to smell it. We can end up being on Bourbon Street playing in the Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. That that's what they were thinking, you know, and now that's kind of. They've done the whole, let's go to a nice Florida bowl again. And I'm not saying that they're snubbing their nose at it, but they they won't say it, but they, these chances for Kentucky football don't come around all the time. And uh, 11 and one, the chances of that's, you know, very, very unlikely. So I think that's a tough one for them to swallow, but I think they get it done here clearly. Yeah, 21-point favorite in this point, and you're exactly right. I mean, you know, that's that's one of those where you have that loss last week and that Louisville game at the end of the year. I mean, this is a Louisville team who's trying to build their program up. I mean, I think people are looking at Scott Satterfield and saying, hey, Scott, when's this thing going to get back to what Bobby Petrino was doing here? Like, you, you need to really get some things going. So uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, other one but, that I want to – But, the, but they, do, yeah, yeah. They, do, they do have that – that that scrimmage against New Mexico State next week to prepare for there Louisville. You so you know, yeah. and you know Alabama will soften them up though. That don't don't do that. I digress. Yeah, that, that that usually happens whenever you play against <laughs> Alabama. But uh, that that again was another preview of uh, Alabama and New Mexico State. So I have to get a New Mexico State message in there again for you. Just there, to rub it go. rub it into there you it. go. 
hit that hit that 30 second little like kind of like rewind if you missed that that's uh, that's where you can get that all right uh even lineup for south carolina at missouri chris sound the alarms because for south carolina if they go to mizzou and beat a struggling missouri team six and four on the season six is the magic number that sends you bowling yeah no question about it i mean that's something that I would not have uh, thought was anywhere near possible. And look, let's call it what it is. You can't, you know, you can't escape the fact that it's about Florida's collapse more than South Carolina. But they did their job. They played well, and they made it possible. So as you look here and and see that they're five and four, and you look at the the East and and the fact that they could end up finishing ahead of Florida and Missouri, what a and and our, and Vanderbilt, of course. What a it, it a little bit fool's goal, meaning they're not real impressive. They're very likely to win a couple of games, but fake it till you make it, right? They're this is a really big game for them, and it just goes to show you kind of the beauty of college football. Yes, oh boy, that's this this is a real dud of a game. Well, it's not a good game. Neither one of these teams are very good, but very important games for you know, particularly I think both teams, but for South Carolina on a positive end on a first-year coach and then really not a game that Eli Drinkwich really needs to lose because in this stage, you know, he's he's got a – it sets up next year being a, a lookout. I mean, you've fallen below South Carolina, which is one game doesn't determine that, Dan, but it kind of gives that optics of now we're we're behind South Carolina and a hey, first-year right. coach, and you're getting a little bit of that feeling in, in, in Columbia, Missouri. So – and the battle of the Colmos um, uh, or the Columbias, um, you know, I, I think certainly South Carolina is playing a little bit better right now. Uh, maybe they get it done. Connor Basilek is still banged up. Missed the George game. He practiced. I think he's going to have a shot at playing. I think he's going to give it a go, but we're going to see. I, I, I think that this Missouri team defensively has just been awful. And I think South Carolina is playing with a little bit more confidence. But if Basilak can play, I, I would favor them a little bit. So I think it's a toss-up game. I think that's what it is. Probably, I think it's a one-point uh, spread for South Carolina. And uh, even is what I saw earlier. Okay, well, even so. Yeah, I mean, you did get some good stuff out of Tyler Macon last week against Georgia. So I mean, I think that's very encouraging for Missouri. But it's also too as well. I mean. When you come off the momentum that it looked like you had last year, and let's be honest here, Eli Drinkwitz is a guy that likes to feel himself a little bit at the podium. He hadn't been able to have as many quick quips at the podium this year. I mean, I think the last one he had was the Boston College one, and then they went up there and they lost. So I think after that he kind of said, hmm, maybe I don't have the team to really be able to puff my chest out about this year. So maybe I'll, I'll keep the snarky comments to myself until I feel a little bit better uh, going uh, down the road. So we'll see if indeed that is the case. LSU badly needs a win this weekend, Chris. And this is a team who now, I believe that earlier this week on the Chuck Oliver Show, we did kind of a a short count. Like, I guess uh, we saw the other day that Mason Smith was on the practice field in a boot and on a scooter. So that's not likely that he's going to play. This is like 14 guys that are now out for LSU. Some out for the rest of the year. Some might have an opportunity down the road. But 14 guys, and you went to Alabama last week and played the way you did. This is a team that if they win this game, I believe it's UL Monroe next week, 
and then you get Texas A&M to end the season. This is one for LSU. I think it's one of those that the players that want to still play for Coach O, it's get a rally cry, go out there, beat a team that's already punched their ticket to bowl season, and give ourselves the 13th game to be able to send this thing on the right path under the new head coach. Well, and there are a lot of young guys that are trying to play for their future at LSU, beyond True. wherever it may go. So I think you're getting good effort from young guys, and the, the, the ones that are playing are the young ones that have a, have a future or hope to have a future. The others, as you mentioned, have kind of gone by the wayside, and I think they're legitimate injuries, and I think some of them, they're milking it. They don't want to risk themselves in what has been a, you know, a, uh, an uneventful for them season. Um, so look, I, you know, on the other side, this Arkansas secondary has been hit really hard. Um, you know, Georgia didn't have to throw it against them. Arkansas Pine Bluff didn't have to do it against them. So, um, you know, we'll see what, what LSU is able to do in this game. I think it's going to be a competitive game. I do think if LSU gives effort, I, I would say this, that, you know, LSU, while they may not always play smart in a game like last week, you could see the effort potentially being there, although you could see evidence that maybe they might quit. You, you saw them play hard. It is Alabama. Now, the history of this game is Arkansas plays with the chip on their shoulder because they're not as talented as LSU, and they usually kind of, you know, play up. I think it's a little bit different now and a little bit more kind of even because of what Arkansas has been able to do in LSU's current plight. But but LSU's playing hard. I, I don't know that they'll play a clean game. I think that, you know, if they make mistakes, I think Arkansas will make them pay. I, I think that game last week, all due credit to LSU, is a lot about what Alabama didn't do. I do think that um, – the one thing you try to do against Alabama is you blitz them. And I thought LSU with the bye week had real good opportunity to put in a lot of different defensive looks, blitz pressure wise that caused a lot of problems. So I don't know that we're going to see that type of an effort. And I know the narrative is going to be, well, you know, Arkansas handles LSU better than Alabama did. And look out, Alabama might be, you know, that old transitive property that never really works. I still think this is a fairly competitive game. Still like Arkansas to win it. I think they'll be able to run the football successfully enough to control this game. And um, that's kind of how I see it. I think this game, it's really important for Arkansas. You know, going to a bowl, going to now to a better bowl. I, I think this is, they're building towards something. We know that LSU is looking ahead towards something else. Yeah, I mean, you heard the excitement from Sam Pittman last week. We played the cut on the Chuck Oliver show where he said, we're going to a bowl. We are going to some bowl. We don't know where it is. We'll find out later. But just the excitement. And that's a guy, too, you know, who people, I think, forget, Chris, with Arkansas. Arkansas, I would kind of say, is kind of where LSU was in the early 2000s where Nick Saban had gotten there and it was, can we win at football? Can we finally get this going? They snipped a little bit of success when Jerry DiNardo was there at, at LSU in the late 90s, the Peach Bowl, but that was about it. Uh, and then you got the program going the way that it did. And LSU had been a proud program that just had not had success in, in the meantime. And Arkansas, I think, kind of, the same deal where they hadn't been to a bowl game since 2016. Sam Pittman realizes 
This is a state that cares about football. This is a state that loves the Razorbacks, and they really want to be able to see this team uh, be able to play some extra football at the end of the year, and they're going to get that opportunity. So, uh, And this is also, too, a revenge game for Arkansas because that was a game that got away from them last year that they probably could have won on their home field. It was a sloppy game, uh, but LSU was able to go up there and get a win uh, in uh, their strong finish to the season. So I think there's a lot of different things that are baked into the storyline of the game this week. Let's go to the CBS 3.30 game this week. It's going to be Georgia at Tennessee, number one Georgia. Dogs are a 20-point favorite. Now, Chris, I've heard a lot of people say this is going to be Georgia's stiffest competition of the week. This is going to be Georgia's stiffest competition. The better team is Georgia. The better players are on the Georgia sideline. It might be, quote-unquote, their stiffest competition, but I still think this is going to be a very easy game for Georgia because, like I said, they're a much better football team. And I think them being told that, you talk about rat poison all the time in Tuscaloosa. In some ways, Kirby kind of subscribes to the same thing that his former boss in Tuscaloosa subscribes to. I bet that he is probably using that this week. Uh, Tennessee thinks they have a shot against you. Well, I think, to me, the intrigue of this game comes in the curiosity just from an X's and O football standpoint, coaching standpoint, curious to see how they handle Tennessee's offense, which is different. The pace and the tempo, you know, Georgia's not facing an offense like this. Um, it's not a like an unstoppable offense. It's different. So how they're going to have to play it is different. Uh, you got to get a line quicker. You can't make it, you know, Georgia likes to do a lot of pre-snap stemming, meaning they get in in the line of scrimmage, folks, and then they will shift. You know, Tennessee will mix up the tempo and go really fast. So do they get them caught in the shifts and and get them misaligned before they can get set? Does Georgia do less of that? I mean, I think that's going to be real intriguing. Um, Can they get some big plays off early because they get the ball out quickly? Um, there is a belief that, that, and I thought they did a pretty good job, uh, last couple of times out Georgia has, uh, in, in the secondary, but I think that's the area because the front is so strong that you can take, you can challenge a little bit. So do you, do you win on a couple of nine routes and score? And all of a sudden you, you, you're up 17, three. I mean, that, that is not out of the question, couldn't happen because it only takes just like one play, two plays, and Tennessee's in the end zone because of the tempo. And they're going to want to get to 95 snaps in a game. I think the game will be controlled by Georgia controlling the football on offense and limiting the amount of snaps that Tennessee gets. However, Tennessee not only likes to get a lot of snaps, but they do a pretty good job with, you know, Big plays, explosive plays per snap when you think about it. So, in other words, Georgia, like Kentucky, can control the – I think Kentucky had a I – think, I think Tennessee had 13 minutes of time possession. And they scored more points than Kentucky. At the 43, the, the rest of it. So, I think while Georgia can control this game and will on offense, it's about how do they limit the explosive plays? Do they get home with four-man pressures? Do they drop more guys? Um, do they play more zone? Do they help out more 
on the the X in um, the Y the the Z receivers outside. I, I that intrigues me. I'm not really seeing a, a threat of Tennessee winning it, but I am curious to see how Georgia plays it because they're going to have to do some things that are different in order to execute it. And and I'm I, I'm able show me how the sausage is made when it comes to football type. So that, that kind of excites me. So I'm curious to see And Tennessee's playing with house money right now. No one expects them to really do anything. So um, we'll see what they can do and how close they can keep it. And for how long? Well, a couple of other things too, that we're going to have to pay attention to is Georgia more attrition to the receiver room on Wednesday report that Arian Smith, their speedy wide receiver broke his leg in practice. So he is likely done for the season. And the other question of the guys who are healthy is JT Daniels. How much is he used in this game? Because I think that's the other part of it as well is Chris. I'll just straight up say it. And I've said it numerous times on this show along with Chuck and with whoever will ask me, I don't trust Stetson Bennett to be able to get me into a shootout and be able to win a shootout throwing the football. I just don't. He's not been asked to do that. I don't believe that he has that in his arsenal. And I'm not saying that you're going to need that on Saturday, but I do think that down the road you're going to need that. The guy that I trust in being able to do that is number 18. It's not number 13. And it's nothing against Stetson Bennett personally. It's just what I just believe is ability, and I just don't think that he has that ability. The number six, that's how many touchdowns this Georgia defense has given up all year long. Think about that for a second. Six. So the question is, can Tennessee get half that amount in this game? Um, why has Georgia been so dominant? Think about that. I mean, six. Six. They're, they're getting towards the end of the year and, and maybe with a chance going through the regular season and not giving, giving up 10 touchdowns for the year. Think about that. Um, they've been great defensively. There is no debating that but they've also not played offenses that are very good. Clemson, we know there's not. UAB, South Carolina, no. Vanderbilt, no. Arkansas, Auburn, not bad. Kentucky, not not bad, but certainly not great. Florida, down year, no answer. Um, Missouri, you know, not – that's the strong point of their team, but but, but not great. Look, it's – they're great because they're great. That number is great, but but they're not playing, you know, they haven't played two or three of the top 25, 30 offenses in the country. Right. So this is going to be interesting. I would not say that this Tennessee offense is one of the handful of best in the country, but they're really unusual. And here's the thing. When you prepare for some things like an Auburn and a Kentucky, there's similar things schematically that are similar in how you play how you have to play Tennessee's offense is different not doesn't have to be tougher but it's different you don't get as many looks against it in practice you don't have many people that do it like they do it so I am just intrigued as heck about how they're going to play and whether you know you know I've got asked uh, this week our, our friends of uh, well Chuck and and, and Matt um, on 680, asked me is uh, over under is I think I think Matt asked me if it's 13 points. I said it's probably going to be more. I I, yeah. I think Tennessee might score 20 points in this game. He mean, oh my God, stop the presses. That's you hold ten this Tennessee team to less than 20. 
that's better than holding most of the people on their schedule to less than 14. It, it, it really is. So I, I don't, I don't think Georgia's going to be threatened, but let Tennessee get to some, some uh, explosive plays in this game, see how t- Georgia's defense adjusts. And then to your point, what do they do? Not if they're down 17, three Georgia, I'm talking about in the first half, but what if they're down early in the fourth quarter? and they got to come mm-hmm. back where the time yeah. element comes in and they got to pick up the pace offensively. Then what do they do? You know, we, right. we assume that at some point they might have to do that. They might not looking at the rest of college football. They may not have that, but, but they might, then again, they might, we think this Georgia, I think I'll speak for myself is a great defensive team. And I think it's a great team period. Uh, but, one thing that we have not seen is them have to be explosive on offense. Uh, they haven't had to, not their fault, but if they have to, how will they respond? I don't know that they're going to have to do that this week, but if they do, it'll be kind of interesting to see. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, like you were just talking about with Tennessee and their pacing and, and just being able to score. I mean, you're not wrong, and Vegas doesn't think you're wrong either. Our good buddies over at BetUS, that's what I was just looking up a second ago, 56 is the over-under for this one. So I do think that you probably look at a 41-24, uh, you know, something like that in this game. Georgia being, of course, the one with 41, because I do think that they will be able to move the football and they will be able to score. Uh, Georgia, I believe, uh, points per game more than Tennessee this season. So uh, for all of the perceived differences in offenses, uh, I think that uh, that would surprise people to know that. So that's uh, interesting to throw out there. Uh, number 11, Texas A&M. Number 15, Ole Miss. For this one, Chris, I think it comes down to a battle of quarterbacks. Obviously, defensively, A&M is one of the best in the country. And they have shown as much. I mean, the defensive touchdown last week with Michael Clemens. This is a team who probably could get after Matt Corral a little bit, a banged up. Matt Corral, too. I think the question becomes, if it is a quarterback battle in this one, Zach Calzada against Matt Corral, I choose Matt Corral. Does AM's defense give Zach Calzada enough short fields to be able to flip this thing and win? The Aggies are a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. I, I think that probably, based off what I just said, it's got to be incumbent upon one group as opposed to one player on the other side being able to make plays. Yeah, I think for A&M on, on, on offense, they're running the football well, and the offensive line's playing well a lot better than they did in the early part of the year. There are a few reasons for that. Some personnel adjustments and then how they've made adjustments to some of the rollout game and, and some of the balance that they have uh, and, and working the tight ends in the run game as well. I, I think they can run the football on Ole Miss. I think like Auburn has – Alabama, I think you can run the football on Ole Miss, and I think A&M will, and they they can run it. The the one issue that the that Texas A&M is having on offense is the overall passing game. Now a lot's been thrown on Calzada, meaning he's not playing well. Um, they got too many drops. I'm not saying that there's not some plays that he don't miss, but the biggest problem they have is holding on to the football. Um, Jalen Wittemeyer had four of himself. And I Smith had one. Um, you got a lot of drops. They left points on the board 
that game probably should have been like 30 to three. I mean, the, the, the offensive, the way they moved the football on, on Auburn was effective, but they were ineffective in the red zone. They were ineffective and they had three, three and outs because they can't hold on to the football. They drop balls. Well, you can't have that. I think if they get in this type of game where Ole Miss, you know, gets a lot, you go three and out, you know, you're moving the football well against Ole Miss, but you drop the football, you know, you turn it over, you drop, you go three and out, you give Ole Miss a quick extra possession. All of a sudden, you find yourself, your defense is on the field a little bit too much, and now you're chasing points. That's coming from behind, you know, where you've got to, keep up with an explosive offense is not the formula that Jimbo and this, this offense wants, but this defense is really, really good. Now, what I am interested in watching is the strength on strength matchup. This Ole Miss offense is still good. Missing pieces. They'll get, I think they'll be a little bit healthier at receiver, the reps. And I, I do believe in Matt Corral. That's going to be a mix of tempo, a mix of formation, a mix of eye candy. I just think it's going to be a whole lot of fun to see that matchup and how Elko handles it, how that defense handles it, because A&M's defense right now is playing at a level that's only surpassed by Georgia. This defense is really playing lights out. Now, they this is a real big challenge for an offense, and it is a style matchup. It's a grinded-out physical defense run game advantage for A&M. It's a Speed, tempo speed, Ole Miss, offensive explosion, you know, favoring the reps. Who wins out? Going to be interesting to see. I like AM here, but I see a path for Ole Miss to getting it done. I just, you know, I see more paths for AM to get it done. And, you know, I think that the, if, if it's a line of scrimmage, more of a line of scrimmage game, uh, then, then I definitely like the Aggies. I just, I'm, I'm curious to see how many times the AM defense can get off the field, and then the offense control the game. And then, you know, again, I, I do think that if AM is going to have to score points, Dan can't have those drops because yeah. I mean, I think you can score 30, 35 points against Ole Miss, but you have four drops by your, your, your tight end, and it's kind of hard to score 35, 40 points if you got that many drops, and you, you're probably going to need more points here than you did last week against Auburn. So, I mean, you definitely oh, I, need I, more points. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, and to your point, too, with Weidemeyer, he's your best receiver. That can't happen from your best receiver. I mean, you, you know, it happens every once in a while, but that's the guy that if you're throwing him the football, it needs to be a, he's got it. It's, it's no problem. I mean, when you are the best guy on the field, that's what has to be expected of you. And it's going to get to a point, I think, where it's going to be a guy who is still gaining confidence in himself as a thrower at this level and at a program like AM, that soon enough it's going to be a, can I trust him to do it? So I, I, I'm with you on that. I think that sometimes that can get into the head a little bit, and we'll see how Weidemeyer bounces back this week after a tough performance last week against Auburn. All right, so that's the SEC and the portion of the games this week. Let's go beyond with a couple of games that are going to be huge ones this week. I'll start first and one that's going to be in Waco. Chris, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a lot of fun. And I think that an SEC tie in this one is going to be in the form of a question at the end because it's number eight Oklahoma still fighting for their playoff chances this season against number 13 Baylor. 
And the Sooners are a five-and-a-half-point favorite there. McLean Stadium there in Waco. It's going to be a great atmosphere for Dave Aranda. I know that there are rumors with the LSU job. His name was brought up, all these different types of things. He won the game like this. Do you think that some people start to say, hmm, he won here. He recruited well here. He's very well liked here. If he's winning football games like this with that talent, what can he do with the talent that we have here? Well, he's definitely on the list. Um, he's definitely on the – I call it the B list. Just he's he's the – they've got a couple of fish that they're trying to – bigger fish that's call it trying to get. But he's definitely on their list. I think he's – I think he's really good. I think he's a good leader. I think ideally um, you'd like to see him have a few more years doing it, you know, because he he's doing a good job one year. But, you know, um, I, I'm not trying to make comparisons, but Tom Allen was the, the apple of everybody's eye last year at Indiana, and, and now it's just falling apart, you know. So you, 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 I think you sure. want to see the long-term – I think Dave's going to be a really good coach and I think Baylor will be lucky to have him. And um, I don't think he turns down the LSU job. Timing's not ideal, but, but again, um, I, I think he'd be really, really good fit for LSU, but, but there's a certain amount of risk with his lack of experience. I, they got really caught last week. I mean, TCU came out a lot of times you see this interim coach, Jerry kill had his guys ready to play um, um, and played hard. They let one get away. This game would even be bigger in terms of what the stakes were for Baylor. I think they'll have a good game plan. They'll play hard. I think they're getting, you know, adequate play offensively. I don't think they've got enough explosiveness on offense personally. Oklahoma, people have said, well, why are they ranked so low? A, they don't have a marquee win. Their schedule's backloaded. So the teams that they've played haven't been very good. And they haven't looked very good in beating those teams. So they're yeah. ranked where they are because of that. You know that. But they've got Baylor. They've got Iowa State. They've got Oklahoma State. And probably have to turn around and play Oklahoma State again. So they're going to have to play one of those three twice with the likelihood being Oklahoma State twice. Folks, they are in the playoffs that they went out. No doubt, no ends if or buts. The ends if or buts are, can they win out? That's the question mark. And I don't think that's as easy. I think they're trying to still figure out their way offensively. Um, I think the, you know, Williams is outstanding. I mean, he certainly has some ability, the explosive playmaking ability, but defensively they're still vulnerable on the back end. Um, they're not the quote unquote, they figured out the defense. They're, they're not, they, they are a mixed bag defensively still think Oklahoma in these type of moments, they usually come up big. I think they will again. I think they've, that Dave and his staff have done a really good job at Baylor. I think they've got they've maximized what they have out of this team. I just think Oklahoma's better. I think they win on the road here, but I agree with you. It's a it's a lot of fun. By the way, I I don't know that you even got it on your list, but I, at the same time slot is Michigan Penn State. Um, yeah, Sean Clifford's healthy. They're going to win at home against Michigan. They match up pretty well. Um, I just don't know about the health of Sean. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is this is a game that's a trap for, for Michigan that they lose because I, I think me and you have talked about this before. I cannot remember a game during Jim Harbaugh's tenure in Ann Arbor, Chris, where I say, wow, they really strained for that one. They, didn't, they, they shouldn't have won that game. Like, good for Michigan. 
it's been the other way around. It's been, wow, they shouldn't have lost that game bad for Michigan. And I think this is going to be another one. It, like, like you said, hostile environment on the road, they're happy Valley. And I think it's an opportunity for Oklahoma. I think the other part of it as well, I mentioned this today on the Chuck Oliver show. I think that Oklahoma's playoff pass is hurting them right now, because I think in some ways it's a, do we want to put these guys in position to be in the playoff? Because we saw what happened the first year they went in with Baker Mayfield in 2016. They got absolutely smoked by Clemson. Good performance, a tough loss to Georgia the following year. Still not great. The year after that, Kyler Murray, they go down to the Orange Bowl, doesn't go their way. 2019, take on a red-hot LSU team who we know how that ended, and they got completely smoked by LSU. So pretty much three out of the four times they've been in the playoffs, they've gotten absolutely smoked. And I do think, though, too, to your point, if they run the table with what they have left over, then probably they are in there. But as of right now, I do think that that's probably being looked at with this playoff committee. Uh, it might be, but but I got to tell you, watching them, you watched them, they haven't been impressive. We go back to Tulane, and now the Tulane team was a healthier and a better team than than, than now, but Western Carolina, Nebraska. Remember how close that was? And if it wasn't, I mean, Nebraska left nine points on the field on special teams alone, West Virginia, Kansas state, Texas. And we, I, you know, no Texas has fallen apart since, but that was a TCU, uh, Kansas. We remember that, that game was, I mean, so it's in, in Texas tech, of course, but I think that may be true. I think maybe the media sees that, but I, I think the committee looks at it and says, Hey, what's the signature win? The reality is, there is none, zero to this mm. point. I think Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State twice. I think it gets them in, no doubt. But I think, it, but I think the real question is not whether they get in or not. If they win it all, I think the bigger question is: Are they going to win it all? And they're playing like they are, I don't know. I think the odds are less than fifty-fifty that they win them all. But they found a way to. As much as they floundered in the playoffs, they've owned the Big 12. They, mm. We've got to say that. So I, I, I think it's real interesting because I think there's there's a separation there in my mind. Iowa State's playing better, but they're not as good. I think it's going to come down to Bedlam. I think, you know, Oklahoma State's yeah. got uh, a good a good uh, situation going right now. Jim Knowles is outstanding. He's doing a great job as defensive coordinator. They've got TCU. They've got Texas Tech. Oklahoma State has a better chance of winning their next two than Oklahoma does, you know. But but if that happens, you're talking about a one-loss Oklahoma State team going up against an unbeaten Oklahoma team in Stillwater on November 27th. Now that'll be a lot of fun with a turkey sandwich, you know, watching that baby. I mean, because that that is probably gonna you know it, it's gonna set up. And 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 here's the thing: it'll be fun. And depending on how things work out, we might say, and we'll see you guys next week here. We're both going to play each other again. I don't know. Beat, if they would have beat them twice, they, there's no doubt they'd be in. But but I think it's fair to have Oklahoma where they are right now. Coming down the bedlam, we'll see how it goes for the Sooners and the Cowboys. All right, finally, number 19, Purdue at number four, Ohio State. Ohio State favored huge in this one, Chris. 21 points is what – 
Ryan Day team is getting. I think this is a team, Chris, that for much of the season has relied on young, inexperienced players, very talented players, to be able to get them to where they are. At the beginning, we saw struggles. We saw some adjustments needing to be made, and we saw that being a little bit of an issue for this Ohio State team. Probably playing Oregon early on this season was not great for them. I think if they play that game now, it goes a lot differently than it did on that Saturday in Columbus, Ohio. Now, along with what I'm saying right here, too, I think with all of the youth and the inexperience they've had on the field that they've had to allow to grow this season, credit goes to Ryan Day and his coaching staff for getting this team in position to where they are right now. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they played better, but they've got a little bit of the inconsistent Alabama disease, too, when you look at – you know, how they looked against Nebraska. I, I thought they were kind of hitting their stride a little bit. And then the last couple of weeks, they haven't played quite as, as good. I think the offensive line is the most physically gifted in the country. They don't play like it consistently week in and week out. Fully healthy, and it looks like they're going to have the full complement of receivers this year. It's the best receiving core in the country. Um, the defense has got some talent. They are young, and that's that's not as much of a strength. But. I do think that um, this game is intriguing. Purdue is very underrated defensively. They played well all year long defensively. They can throw the football. Now, I um, talked about it in the Big Ten, my Big Ten show last week and I, on Landry football. I really loved them against Michigan State. But Michigan State was a little overrated. I mean, I, I mean they were fine where they were rated. They earned it. But I, but I didn't think they were as good as people thought. I knew Purdue could throw against Michigan State secondary. And I knew that they would at least contain a little bit of Kenneth Walker enough to win that game. Uh, they they won it handily. I don't like the matchup as much this week. Now, if Ohio State doesn't play well, if they're not sharp, absolutely can Purdue can play with them. But the difference is Ohio State has that talent advantage that when they don't play well for four quarters, Dan, they can kind of out-personnel you and get it done, mm -hmm. that Michigan can't quite do that. Penn State can't quite do that. Michigan State can't quite do that. Ohio State can. So, style, you know, Oklahoma, we talk about ugly, ugly but they're, they're better, maybe quite a bit better than the teams that they're beating, but they only beat them by a little bit. So they don't have to be – they don't have to have their A game. Remember what Tiger Woods used to say? It's not about, you know, if I can win with my B game, well, then I'm going to win more because I'm not going to always have my A game. And that's kind of what that what I think of of Ohio State. So I think that's the difference here, particularly at home in the horseshoe. Um, that's where that's where I see the difference. But I am intrigued in that time slot. They're going to be going up against Georgia, Tennessee, Minnesota, Iowa's big in the Big Ten West. So, yeah, um, at the same time, I, I do like the Buckeyes to handle business at home. I do. Uh, real quick there, before we get to the uh, mailbag and close this out for here for the end of the week, what do we got in the Landry Lab this week? Well, uh, in the first wave, uh, Michigan, Penn State, Oklahoma, Baylor, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Mississippi State, Auburn, West Virginia, K-State, um, uh, is uh, and then Rutgers, Indiana, uh, SMU, um, and I, I, I may, I may not Syracuse, Louisville, and I may, I may have New Mexico State, Alabama on for a bit to look at. And then the second wave, it's Georgia, Tennessee, it's Purdue, Ohio State, it's Minnesota, Iowa, uh, it's Iowa State, Texas Tech, Maryland, Michigan State, 
Miami, Florida State, and USC Cal postponed until later, so we won't have yeah. that. I'll have uh, South Carolina, Missouri, Stanford, Oregon State, BC, Georgia Tech, Utah, Arizona in the third wave, which is the 6 a.m., 6 p.m., rather, ish time zone. Uh, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, uh, Arkansas, LSU, Notre Dame, Virginia. Look out for Virginia and scoring a lot of points here. That could be an upset there. TCU, Oklahoma State, Kentucky, Vanderbilt that we talked about. NC State, Wake. Um, Really, really intriguing game to me in the ACC I'm looking forward to. Uh, Arizona State, Washington. And look, just because of all the nonsense and all the frustrations, um, I want to see if Kansas could make life a – a little tough for Texas uh, or how will Texas handle that? I guess is what I should say. And then in the late window, Washington state, Oregon, Washington state has done a phenomenal job considering all the distractions. I want to see that. And I want to see Nevada, San Diego state. Um, and then Utah state, uh, San Jose state. That's what's on in the Landry lab on Saturday. Yeah. A lot of good games. I mean, even if it's not necessarily all in the SEC, there's going to be a lot of really good games to pay attention to on Saturday. So like you, Chris, we are all looking forward to watching those games. All right, let's uh, close it out with the mailbag. Again, you can always join us on the Twitch stream on Monday and Thursday nights. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern is when we get going to record this show. And I see some questions there on the Twitch stream, twitch.tv backslash Chris Landry football is the way that you can get in and join us. Now let's start first uh, with um, a, a program that we didn't talk about today because they're playing against a middling FCS program this weekend in the Sanford Bulldogs, and that is the Florida Gators. Jay Steubens wants to know how can Dan Mullen really write the ship down in Gatesville? Well, he's got to take a look um... – Overall, in this program, he's got to put more emphasis on how they handle recruiting. A lot of what they do, they don't put enough emphasis on it in terms they let, he lets a lot of staff handle things. Mm-hmm. They've got to get coaches that are a little bit more engaged and put more importance into the evaluation process of recruiting. They need to be a little bit more aggressive there. He's going to need to make a good defensive coordinator hire. Uh, look, it's up to Dan. He is capable of doing it. People have asked me, is his ego, is his pride too much to get that done? Don't know. I mean, I, I think you can certainly question that. Um, but, you know, this is the first step towards you've got to make some changes or else next year we're having a different conversation about you. He's going to have to make substantive changes in a positive direction to at least at least show that things are trending in the right direction next year. How can you not recruit well at Florida? Like, I, I just don't – it boggles my mind that you don't make the effort to do mi- that. Even mis-evaluate and yeah. don't put an emphasis on it because you got a lot of players there. You, you got to work at it, Dan. And with 25 scholarships and with, you know, you can miss on guys. You just, you know, you, you've got to work hard and making sure that you're offering the right guys and you got to get them. And – they're struggling with it. They're, they don't focus on it enough. That's unfortunate. Rich Coates, uh, what level of respect do NFL people have for Mike Leach and for Dan Mullen? Also, uh, this is going to qualify for beyond. Uh, your thoughts on Cam Newton re-signing with the Panthers and Odell Beckham Jr. going to the Los Angeles Rams? Well, I think most people are um, like I am with it, with as it relates to Mike. 
I'm impressed with uh, some of the concepts that he has, but I think most people uh, are aligned with me in that he can be a little stubborn in his way. See, a, a lot of the air raid concepts that he has, a, a lot of people have gone on and have built off of that and have, quite frankly, done an even better job because a lot of what Mike does is a little simplistic, a little too simplistic that he would struggle at the at the next level big time because he doesn't really adjust. He believes in just what he does. And I think, you know, schemes don't win. It's how you modify and adjust and you are able to create and build off of your schemes. I don't care if it's Bill Walsh's West Coast or anything. It's how you grow and develop from it. So that's kind of the feeling on Mike. On Dan, you know, Dan has historically done a nice job with quarterbacks, good play caller, um, you know, uh, a, a guy that, that um, I think people by and large like. Um, I, I think there's there's decent respect for him. Um, in terms of him being, uh, I think he'd be uh, an asset as an organization, working with quarterbacks, um, working on a staff. I don't think there's the belief that he would be uh, or, or there would be a lot of comfort level in making him a head coach at that level. I think both of these guys have a lot of ability, but they're both mm-hmm. head coaches in college. Um, I think they both, if you could streamline and organize what they do and put them in an assistance role, I think they would have even greater value. But I I don't mean that to be disrespectful and to say they should be assistants because, look, they both have had certain levels of success in college. I just think in the NFL that being a head coach, being in college, it's not about being a play caller. It's about other things. And I think some of the other things that they have in the head coaching position I don't think they're as strong at. And I think we're seeing some of those things with Dan at a big time program that he's not quite ready to do that. And Mike Leach is the same way, by the way. I mean, he's different in some of his philosophies, but Mike Leach does not work hard at recruiting. Mike Mm -hmm. Leach, like Dan Mullen, would rather talk about how our class was the 20th ranked and, and look how good I coached. That's they're both that way. And of course, if you're going to be successful at a big time program, well, Dan was successful at Mississippi state. And I do think that Mike can have enough success to stay a few years that in Starkville, because the expectations are not as high, but when you go to a place like Florida, as you just mentioned, how can you not? Well, you know what, when you can't and you don't, you get exposed because you can't out coach guys with great talent you're not as good as you think you can't do it it's about players and I think it's about how you develop and utilize players but you know I think both of them have a higher opinion of themselves than and and probably both need a little humble pie and realize that you know it's about players and I think both of them are better at a place like a Mississippi State than a bigger school like Florida, personally. And it's no disrespect to Mississippi State. It's just if you win eight games there, you can be successful. Can't do that at Florida. 
Uh, what about Cam Newton to the Panthers and um, back of the Rams? Much ado about nothing, really. He hadn't played in three years. I don't know that he can do a whole lot for him. They signed Matt Barkley as well. Uh, I'd say P.J. Walker is probably their best chance at this point, and it's not very good. They're banged up on the offensive line, on the defensive line. Sam Donald's played awful. Carolina is quarterback shopping this offseason. I really don't know other than maybe having Cam to maybe use him in the quarterback runs. I don't think it's a whole lot. I know it's a great story. He's going back home. It means absolutely nothing to the to the rest of their season and nothing to their future. I don't don't see them. I don't see one there for him. Uh, Odell Beckham with the Rams um, wanted to go with a contender and wanted to go with a quarterback. And that's where it was always going to be. It was, I thought, Kansas City, uh, the Rams, thought maybe Seattle, the best offer was there. It wasn't ever going to be New Orleans because of the quarterback situation, even though that's where he's, well, is mm-hmm. where he, he's from. His dad grew up in Texas, Odell Sr., but, but they kind of settled in New Orleans. There never was really much there. All right. Uh, one final one, uh, kind of a recap of what we talked about earlier. That is the Mississippi State-Auburn game. And kind of uh, Jeffrey Parrott here going off of uh, what I brought up earlier, Chris. Could Mike Leach pull off an upset in this one? Do you think it's going to be close? Yeah, I do, Jeff. If, if you want to get the full detail, go back and if you would, go back and listen to it. We go into complete detail. I don't think it's a big upset. I don't think, it's, I don't think this is an upset really at all. I think that uh, this game could go either way. Uh, I think it's really close. I think Mississippi State has some real matchup advantages in this game. I think the run defense matches up pretty well against Auburn. That's going to be the key because if Auburn can run the football successfully, then you'll see Bo Nix have some success and they'll make some plays. Um, I think defensively they're going to do a good job with their pressures, uh, and I think they'll cause some problems for State, but I think State's going to get their points. And I, I, I think that in order for Auburn to win, it's going to come down to their running game. So I think it's close. I think it's a toss-up game. I'm not surprised either way. I mean, because it's in Jordan-Hare, I'd give a little bit of an edge, but I, you know, I, I think it's a five-and-a-half point type margin. I take State in the points personally. I think it's a three-point game, one-two, three-point game. Either way, coming down to the end, I don't know what happens. I, again, I'd maybe just go with Auburn because they're at home, but uh, I don't think there's much separating these two teams. Different in styles, but I think this is going to be a really close game. I don't see it as an upset, Jeffrey, if, if State wins. There you have it. That's SEC football and beyond to close out the week. Join us again early next week as we recap the weekend that was. And then, of course, we do this time the following week. We will get you ready for the following weekend. Chris, happy football watching this weekend. Talk to you early next week and talk to everybody else as well. Thank you so much for listening to SEC football and beyond. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.